plastic shaped toilet uh, with a little container that you would actually poop in and then you just pull that container out and actually dispose of the uh, feces somewhere else. So it's meant for campers. I obviously didn't actually use the toilet for that purpose to the relief of everybody. Welcome to episode 38 of About IBD. I'm Amber Tresca. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis at age 16 and had two-step J-pouch surgery 10 years later. I'm the IBD expert at VeryWell.com and the person behind AboutIBD.com and the About IBD social media platforms. It's my mission to educate people living with IBD about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. This is the second part of my discussion with author and IBD influencer, Rashid Clark. Rashid was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis as a young man, and today he lives with a J-pouch. He wrote a book about his experiences with ulcerative colitis called Three Tablets Twice Daily, and he blogs about IBD as well as other topics that are important to him at RashidClark.com. To learn more about his writing career, be sure to check out episode 37. Rashid was a runner before his diagnosis, so he was able to compare what running was like for him both before and after his surgeries. You'll also hear us discuss how there aren't a lot of men who are influencers in the IBD space and why that might be, plus if there's anything we can do to encourage more men to share their disease journey. The most entertaining part of this conversation, however, is Rashid telling the story of how he spent World IBD Day in 2017. So you will want to listen to the end to hear about the toilet. Tell me about your running life, Rashid. So... I think off the, the top of our talk today, I, I talked about how I was running when I first started having symptoms and I was training for a half marathon that I eventually, that at the time I, I could not compete in because of, the, because of the symptoms. In 2017, I signed up for a half marathon with a team called Guts to Run, which has been running in the Mississauga Marathon as a team and raising funds for Crohn's and Colitis Canada for a number of years. And that was, to me, like my kind of redemption uh, against IBD because the the first half marathon that I was going to run back in Halifax never happened. And then in 2017, I got my pelvic pouch and things were going okay. And I really wanted to to train and to finally complete that distance and complete that that run. And so I did in, in, in 2017 at the Mississauga Marathon. And that was with a, a great team of people uh, at uh, Guts to Run. And I've been on the team for the last uh, couple of years as well, uh, kind of scaled back uh, to the 10K uh, portion of uh, last year. But uh, I'm signed up again this year with the team and I have really just loved running since before all of this IBD stuff happened. I got into running originally to lose weight. I actually lost about 60 pounds as a result of, of running and I just kind of kept that up through uh, through college and and, uh, and up to this day. It's just something that I really enjoy doing. I think uh, it's something that lets me be alone and I do enjoy being alone and I can be active. Uh, I used to take part in a lot of team sports and I think as you get older, it's a little bit harder to sometimes find those team sports and I just wanted to do something active that I could do alone on my own time and on my own schedule and, and running was that thing. So. I'm lucky that I can still do it now, and it's a uh, it's really enjoyable, uh, although very difficult to do in the middle of winter in Canada. Things are obviously different now for you than before you were diagnosed. Taking that into account, how has running changed for you? I think it's 
more or less the same compared to what it was before the diagnosis in the sense that I can handle, you know, particular distances and generally do it without uh, too many interruptions. But I have to just be more mindful about the whole process. So when I first started running, it was really easy. Just put on sneakers and you leave the house and then you go and everything's fine. And now it's not that simple. And I, and I, and I, you know, disappointed about that fact that, uh, that it's not that simple because I will typically try to time things out, uh, based on when I eat and what I eat. And I'll make sure that I get a trip to the bathroom in before I start running or any other exercise for that matter. Cause I don't want to have to, you know, hold in a poop as I'm, as I'm running. The great thing with the pelvic pouch though, is that I actually have that ability but it becomes very uncomfortable and makes for a not enjoyable run when it's something that you actually have to do as you're, as you're out and about. So I have to just be a little bit more mindful about the whole process of running. And I think as I've gotten older, unfortunately, a lot more things in the body have kind of broken down. So uh, running is not as, as, as straightforward as, you know, just put on any old sneakers and run and you'll be fine. I try to pay more attention to, the running form and you know where I land on uh, on my feet and being mindful of uh, of different surfaces and, and different uh, running shoes and all that kind of stuff. So it's a lot more involved, and I I'm kind of disappointed about that because one of the reasons I really enjoyed running at the beginning was the fact that it was so easy, and now it's a little bit more complicated, but it's still worth it for for the enjoyment and uh, and the good feeling and the good results physically and mentally that you get out of it. So I was reading on your blog and there was something that really stuck out to me. You called yourself a pushover. And I really, of all of the things that I was reading in your blog and so many honest and personal things for which I'm very grateful to you for putting them down in that way. But that was one thing that really stuck out to me that I felt like, I don't know, I feel like that that's not you. Do you think that you have gained assertiveness through everything that you've been through? I wish I could say I have. I think if anything, I've gained the recognition that I should be more assertive, but I haven't, I don't think gotten up to the point where I actually assert myself to the point where, where I need to. And, you know, pushover for me, most of the time it, it relates to taking on duties, tasks that I don't really want to do, but I feel like I have a responsibility to do. And sometimes that can mean something as simple as going to a party that I don't want to go to and not saying, you know what? No, that's not something I feel like doing. And I just be like, okay, I'll do it. And it's, it's something that, uh, that built up over, over a number of years. And luckily it's been, it hasn't really been the case when it comes to my, my medical condition. I think I have been more assertive in that realm anyway, when it comes to, when it comes to care for myself, when it comes to, to talking to doctors and, and pushing for things and letting them know where, where I'm really struggling and letting them know where, where things haven't gone wrong and, and I haven't been treated well, in my opinion. Uh, I think maybe that's where I've been able to gain a little bit more assertiveness. And that's because you really have to at that point, because your body is really depending on you to be assertive. Other times in just kind of day-to-day life, that's where I feel I could use a little bit more work on the assertiveness and, and being able to say no more often, whether it's in work, whether it's in 
personal life, whether it's family relations, whatever it may be. Uh, that's where I still, I think, am a little bit uh, too easily pushed over. There aren't a lot of men in this space. Granted. Even in Facebook groups, you'll see women coming in and they'll say things like, my boyfriend, my husband, my brother, my son. How has that been for you being in this space and being a man? I think that there is at least a bit of a, a shift from what I've seen over the last couple of years, maybe, in, in, in connecting with other men who have IBD, both in, in Canada and the U.S. and in the U.K. as well. There seems to be a little bit more of a, of a desire to share, to, to put their information out there, to let people know that, yes, I have a disease. Yes, uh, it affects me in these ways, and it's not always, it's not always pretty, and it's not always easy. As far as why there haven't been more men in the past or even now, it, it's definitely more weighted towards uh, women being active in, in sort of advocacy and, and online activities. I think it's just the way that men and women manage difficulties. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that maybe men want to do things more independently and, and not make things public. They just want to be able to handle things on their own and handle things on their own, leave it at that and not necessarily tell everybody that they're handling it on their own or that they're handling it in their own particular way. So if it leads to good health outcomes, not necessarily a bad thing where there's a potential concern is that whole idea of men not being able to talk freely about potentially emotional things where they just add more weight to themselves on top of the difficulties of the disease and that just makes the disease worse and it's an ongoing cycle. So I, I'm really glad that I've, I've had the chance to meet both online and in person a number of uh, IBDers who happen to be men and they're, they're some of the you know, just best people that I know. And I hope that we do see more but I think that it's a, it's a comfort level and it's just, it's almost a natural thing for, uh, for women to just say, you know what, I, I'm going to try to find a community for support where men tend to be a little bit more, I'm going to try to figure this out on my own and, and work to get things under control on my own. And people come to a disease in, in different perspectives and different ways and, and maybe just the way that it's working for a lot of guys, and I hope it is working, is just handling it themselves and, and not going to the internet or to forums or to, to whatever else if they're getting things under control. But if they are struggling, I hope that they do realize that there's no problem whatsoever in letting people know that, that you're struggling and, and finding a group of people who have the same conditions, who have the same problems, who have the same challenges, because there's a lot to learn from them. And representation matters. So that's really important to be able to find somebody that is like you, um, that's sharing their experiences so that you can learn from them. And I wonder, the struggle concerns me, the, the silent struggle. Mm -hmm. And do you think that there's anything that we should be doing or we could be doing that could draw more men into the space into sharing their experiences? Hard to say. 
in all honesty, because there was never a point for me where I felt like I had to really hand, you know, take on everything myself and, and be quiet about it. I never felt that way. So it, it's hard for me to put myself in another person, male or female, in, 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 their, in their shoes and say, this is why I, I haven't been more, more forthright about, about telling other people. But if there's one thing that can be done, at least from, from people like me, is to actually continue to put that information out there and say, this is what life with the disease is like, and, and here's how I'm dealing with it, and, and here are the challenges that I have faced and continue to face. I think just putting it out there is, is, is hopefully enough to, to spur other people to want to get involved. And maybe some very concrete examples of times where I have gone to support group meetings and, and actually really benefited from it. And times where I have you know, shared openly with, with friends about the, the challenges that I've gone through and really benefited from it. So I think putting those kind of stories out there will hopefully encourage more people to, to not have to deal with everything silently and, and, and feel alone in all that they're facing. Talking about putting things out there and not dealing with things silently. Tell me about the toilet. The toilet. For World IBD Day. <laughs> the toilet. That was very much putting it out there. It's uh, <laughs> so about as out there as I could go. Uh, so, <laughs> so World IBD Day in 2017. Uh, at the time, I was working for Crohn's and Colitis Canada, and we were trying to think about what's a creative thing that we can do on World IBD Day to mark the day. And above all, it's a day to raise awareness about the disease. So how can we do that in, in a way that doesn't speak to just the IBD community, which already understands the disease, but how do we get things to be a little bit more public? So it's actually an idea that I had uh, several from several years before uh, we actually got it going in 2017 was I wanted to take a toilet and take it to a very well-populated, uh, pedestrian-heavy pedestrian heavy area of Toronto called Young Dundas Square. And there's a, a traffic intersection at that square where there's something called a scramble crossing. So there'll be, there's traffic going north, south, east, west, but every once in a while through the traffic light cycles, the traffic is stopped in all four directions so that pedestrians can walk right in the middle of the intersection to, to make diagonal crossings. So my idea was I take the toilet during those scramble red lights for all the vehicular traffic, take my toilet, put it down in the middle of the intersection, just kind of sit there for a while and be kind of nonchalant about it. And then when just before the light changes, just pick up the toilet, run back out uh, onto the sidewalk and then repeat the process over and over. My rationale for this, and there was a rationale for this, was to let people first of all, see that something weird was going on because that's enough to get people's attention and raise awareness for the fact that when you have IBD, this is what life can feel like. You're just going about your day, but you always need to have this toilet with you and the urge to strike, the urge to go can strike any time, including right when you're walking across an intersection or when you're walking down the street, whatever it may be. So that was, that was the whole idea behind the the World IBD Day activity. Uh, in addition to me running in and out of the intersection, we had a number of volunteers that day who had uh, 
cards that described what IBD was, described the, or explained the fact that it was World IBD Day, and pointed people to our website for more information about the diseases. So uh, we handed out uh, hundreds of those that day as well. So hopefully we got a little bit of, of public awareness done that day. Uh, I think it, it took something a little bit drastic to get people to pay attention because as much as we can write about things and, and be very articulate in, in our conversations or be very clear in our writing, it's not really beneficial to the wider public if they never happen to see it. So you have to do things very visibly sometimes. And that was, that was the, the goal of the, of the campaign in 2017. Do you have any stories from that day? What, what were people's reactions, either pedestrians or people in their cars? Confusion. I think for the most part, uh, which is, which is fair. I mean, the whole point is to, that's not, that's not an everyday occurrence. So of course people would be confused. And, and that's why, you know, we had the volunteers around that day as well to help describe to people, Hey, just, this is what's going on. And this is why it's happening. Uh, yeah. Confusion was the main thing, but, uh, some people were a little bit, I guess, you know, kind of snarky in their comments. Uh, one person kind of passed by and said, Hey buddy, did you lose a bet? And something like that. So, uh, you know, there were, there were, there were you know, people who were just, you know, not very happy to see anything. I feel like no matter what was going on at that intersection that day, sometimes people in Toronto are just in bad moods and they'll just be, you know, angry towards anyone. So, and I just happened to be the target of that abuse that day. So that's fine. And actually I remember I, you know, did that uh, little activity for a few hours that afternoon on World IBD Day. And then later on that evening, I came back to the area without the toilet uh, just to, uh, to go out to dinner and someone who was there during my actual activity note, like kind of recognized me and he said, Hey, toilet man. And so I got, if this is the fame that you were talking about earlier, I guess that's the fame that I have achieved at this point in my life. That's the best story. <laughs> oh my gosh. So two more questions about that. Sure. How heavy was the toilet? And how many times did you carry it into the intersection? The toilet was very light because it was actually a plastic toilet. So it wasn't a proper porcelain uh, toilet because that would have made it very difficult to actually get in and out of the intersection. We, we were actually considering a proper porcelain one, but we'd have to put it on on wheels or on like a platform with wheels to make it easier to get in and out. So we just opted for a plastic toilet, which is meant for campers, or people with RVs. Uh, so it's just basically a, it's a plastic shaped toilet uh, with a little container that you would actually poop in. And then you just, you pull that container out and actually dispose of the uh, feces somewhere else. So it's meant for campers. I obviously didn't actually use the toilet for that purpose uh, to the relief of everybody, but it was very light. And that's what made it uh, very usable for that event was that it was easy to take in and out and, uh, easy to hold with one hand. It's very funny. You know, it didn't even occur to me that, that it would be a plastic toilet. The whole thing is just very funny. <laughs> I mean, I, I had to be able to just kind of pick it up with one hand and, and race in and out with it. And in terms of like uh, how many times I did it, I honestly did not keep track. It, it felt like a lot. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was there for a couple of hours. It was a couple of hours. And then yeah. given how those traffic things usually go, so it was once every five minutes, 10 minutes, something like not that. Not even, not even that. Like every maybe three minutes or so. Really? Three, th three, four minutes, I think, is maybe what, uh, at least what it felt like. And 
And we, and we live streamed it as well on uh, Crohn's and Clytus Canada's Facebook page. So there was, a, I think, maybe about a 15 to 20-minute stretch where we just kind of set up the camera and had it showing me go in and out, in and out. Okay. I hope I can find that because I, people need to see that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask you about your Twitter feed because I noticed that you do something very interesting. And I actually kind of look forward to seeing these tweets in my, in my feed when you make them. You have a hashtag that you use called three things I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. So tell me about why you started that and what that's been like. So several years ago when I was going through pretty rocky time after my first surgery and things were not going well, my girlfriend at the time, who's no longer my girlfriend, but a very insightful person, wanted to you know, help me get out of it. So she was doing her research and found some articles that suggested that if you write down three things that you're grateful for every day, it helps to foster a better state of mind, uh, a happier state of mind. And this is something that's been documented by a number of, a number of people. And it's, it's sort of a recommendation when it comes to, to mindfulness. So I, I'm very upset at myself for not doing it at the time because I was just in such a bad state where I just, I didn't want to hear advice from anyone. And, and I feel bad about that now because I think it probably would have helped a lot at the time. But it's something that I decided to pick up a little while back where I could do something kind of consciously to, to write down here are the things that I'm grateful for. And if I put, up, put it up on Twitter, I could maybe you know, use that hashtag as a way to keep a, a repository of them and, and go back to them at some point. So I started that as a way to try to create a better mindset for myself because it's so easy to have bad days either because of the disease or just because of life in general. So I wanted to do something to remind myself that there are things to be grateful for. And hopefully those will outweigh all of the things that you're very upset about. And, and those things that you're grateful for, I, I think the, the beauty of, of it is they're pretty simple things. They're kind of everyday things. And when you find gratitude for them, it makes all of the bad things that you deal with in, in day-to-day life a little bit easier to, to manage. So it's something I've tried to keep up. And again, half-assed as I am about a lot of things, I haven't done it every day. So it, it, that's another thing that I want to try to work on. And especially on days where it's hard, I feel like those are the days where I really need to put it up in particular. So Oddly enough, if you see one of those tweets, chances are I actually haven't had a very good day. But I'm trying to remind myself that there was still good in that day. Thank you for sharing that with me. I really do look forward to seeing those tweets from you. I don't want you to have a bad day. Um, (laughs) And they're not all from bad days. I mean, some of them are just genuinely good days where I feel like, yes, I, I definitely want to to put that out there. But a lot of times it's on days where things have been hard and, and I need a reminder that, uh, that there were still some good things that came out of the day. Yeah. Well, just so you know, I always read them. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going to put all of your information in the show notes, but please just remind me where everyone can find your writings and what social media platforms that you use. So pretty easy to find me because uh, if you just Google Rashid Clark, 
R-A-S-H-E-E-D-C-L-A-R-K-E. The important thing is that you put the E at the end of Clark. Uh, you'll be able to find me uh, everywhere on the internet. My website is Rashid Clark with an E.com. And Twitter, Facebook, Instagram handles are all at Rashid Clark. Thank you so much for talking with me. It's always enjoyable to talk to you and I always learn something. So thank you. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to talk about or you want to tell me? You're great. And, <laughs> and you're, and you really know you, you actually are, you actually are great. And you're a very good interviewer. Uh, something I kind of have picked up on in the course of our conversation here, because you and I have talked a number of times while not being recorded. And obviously that's been very, very enjoyable and very easygoing conversation, but it's felt the same way here. And I think that's a credit to you. So thank you for that. Thank you. I wish we had done it in person. And there are actually a lot of other things that I would like to talk to you about, a different topic for a different day. So hopefully we'll get that opportunity. Actually, recording in person is my favorite way to do it. Obviously, there's nothing like being able to look into someone else's eyes and really hear their story and hear their story. So um, I hope we get to do that because I have more ideas where of things we can talk about that I want to yes. hear from you on. So- yes, I, I look forward to you gazing deeply into my eyes. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Hey, super listener, a special thank you to Rashid Clark for talking with me about so many personal topics and for being such an excellent storyteller. Follow Rashid on the Twitter and the Instagram as Rashid Clark, and you can find his blog at Rashid Clark with an E dot com. In particular, I recommend you follow Rashid on Twitter in order to keep up with his hashtag three things I'm grateful for. I will put all the links in the show notes for you. Thank you for listening and get in touch and let me know how you like the show. You can find me all over the interwebs as About IBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as at aboutibd.com. Also, head over to verywell.com for disease information on IBD that I've written, which has also been medically reviewed by a practicing gastroenterologist. About IBD is the longest-running podcast dedicated to Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And that's because you listen and subscribe and share. So I'm going to make you a deal. Don't stop doing those things. And I won't stop either. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. Coming up on the next episode of About IBD. During that time of planning your family and then actually getting pregnant and then postpartum, this particular website will give you the actual current data, current information, current resources, and you can easily understand, you can take it in for uh, your shared decision-making with your doctors. 